All right, well, let's uh, let's pray one more time and uh, dedicate this time. <clears throat> Father, as we open your word again, um, by your Holy Spirit, we ask that you wash us in it. Um, help move me out of the way. It's not my opinions, but your word. And uh, bless our time together in it. Bless our discussion as we look at this um, this great command that is to characterize your church, namely to love one another. Pray that you will help us to not just see it as a hallmark type, you know, isn't that a wonderful verse and make a poster out of it, but that we would apply it and live it and walk with it. That's really what counts. Um, so again, bless this time in Jesus' name. John chapter 13, verses 31 through 35 is our text. Um, we're continuing our walk through John. I like to say we're walking through it instead of driving through um, so that we can, whenever you walk somewhere, you notice a lot more detail when you drive, right? You drive to your neighborhood all the time and we walk through it and you'd be surprised how much you miss when you drive through it. All right. Um, this is the second half of the second major section of John, right? Jesus' private ministry Everything that's happening pretty much from here, even though his crucifixion is public, um, and, and you might say his trials in, in terms of he's in front of the leaders of the nation and so forth. Really, his teaching ministry has changed drastically now, where instead of instead of proclaiming to the nation anymore, he's now talking to his disciples and teaching them, teaching his followers, those who are, are still with him. And uh, we saw that right kind of uh, in the middle of, of chapter 12, uh, where he says, walk for the verse 35, light is among you uh, for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. One who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have listened to the warning, much of a limited time offer, right? Verse 36, chapter 12. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons or children of light. That's going to be important for our verse this morning because he's going to call them little children. We'll talk about that. In the latter half of verse 36, then when Jesus said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Very significant statement. John is just letting us know that that's basically the close of his public ministry. He's presented himself to the nation. Uh, remember, they wanted the Messiah, right, above everything else, but they wanted a Messiah that looked more like them, not one that, that demanded that they look like him, right? They were wanted a Messiah that would come to judge the Romans, not come to judge them. But that's not what, they, what God sent, right? That's not what they needed, either, right? And so he he has uh, closed the books on that public ministry. Now we're in the private ministry. We've seen a timeline of the upper room. The other three synoptic gospels don't tell us a whole lot of what happened in the upper room. Uh, I went back um, recently and just looked at our, kind of refreshed my own mind. If you have those notes, you can do that uh, too. If you don't have the notes, by the way, you want to go back to any of the notes. Uh, I spent a good bit of time yesterday refreshing and kind of updating our website, right? And one of the things that I did, I put our, our, our conference schedule out on the main homepage, right? There, uh, kind of uh, refreshed and updated and added a couple of ministry partners that were missing to our, our outreach page. And then also, uh, if you go to the website and you look under resources, there's a sub-menu there. Don't be distracted with that. Just keep clicking on resources. You'll get to the resources page. And I've put... There were Sunday school notes out there, but they were a little disorganized and everything. But I've got all of our notes out there now for Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Romans, and John. Okay, so if you're interested and want to pull up any of the notes, you can do that. If you have trouble with it, let me know. It's on a shared drive. I think I took care of the permissions, but if you try it and it doesn't work, let's okay. So uh, um, when we went back and, and looked at um, um, what was I saying? Oh, yes, the upper room <laughs> discourse, uh, or I'm sorry, the events in the upper room, uh, we put together a timeline, as best I can tell, uh, from all four Gospels of what happened in the upper room. 
And, and so basically, just, just to give us a broad uh, sweep of things, remember, John is the one that, that explains to us why there were so many people enthusiastic about welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem. The other Gospels, they, they mentioned the, the, what we call triumphal entry, which I like to call the presentation of the king. Okay? Um, but but they, they, they tell us about triumphal entry, but they don't really explain where are all these people coming from out of seemingly nowhere that are enthusiastic. Well, John helps us connect that to the resurrection of Lazarus. It happened a few months earlier, right? And, and, and the, there's still a lot of excitement in Jerusalem, very uh, well-to-do, well-connected. A number of, of influential witnesses were there to see that, and, and uh, it was a real problem for the leaders. That's when they convened the emergency council, and that's when his real trial happened. And that's when they really decided, formally, we're going to put him to death, um, which is interesting, just following that, then he basically closes up his part of the ministry. Um, so... That has happened a couple months earlier to raising Lazarus. Now he's welcomed into Jerusalem on the day, probably 10th of Nisan, best I can tell, the day when the father presents the lamb, right? Brings the lamb in to live with the in the house. He brings the lamb to the house. Jesus goes to the house and cleanses it, right? Temple. And, and then he's there for several days living with uh the the, the nation, the family of God, the father's house. And um, and then he is to be crucified, right? It's the Passover lamb and fourteenth of the sun. Well, in between that, or just on the eve of his crucifixion, he he celebrates the Passover with his disciples. And remember, as as uh, Galileans, they would have done that the night before. That was acceptable in their tradition. So he can he can both celebrate the Passover and die on the Passover because of it, right? And so. He's here in the upper room. The disciples, because of the enthusiasm of the crowds, are super excited, right? Because they think imminently that the kingdom is coming. This is their triumphalistic view of the Messiah, right? That he is, as I said earlier, he is going to come and affirm us and put down the Romans, put down other nations that have given us a hard time all of our history. He's going to bring David's throne to bear and, and, and uh, usher in the golden age of the kingdom. Uh, they're super excited, but the Lord has other plans, right? The Father has other plans. And the Lord has to turn that around. We looked at that. We looked at how he had to rebuke their pride, right? And, and offer not just the words it written in Luke, but also the example written in John of washing the feet. In the midst of that, then, he Right after that, he says, if I do that for you, do that for each other. And I'll miss verse 17. Bless for you if you do these things. If you know them, bless for you if you do them. If you do, right? <clears throat> Obey. Obey. All right. Then he dismisses Judas. We've looked at that. Um, and, uh, and, and now we're in verses 31 through 35. We've looked at our first point here last time, God the Father and the Son will be glorified through the cross, okay? Uh, verses 31 and 32, let me just read that with us. Uh, when he had gone out, <clears throat> Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. It almost sounds like a tongue twister, right? Read that verse 10 times fast. <laughs> or those verses 10 times fast. You can hear the mutual glory from one to the other. And the focus, what's interesting to me about that, and we mentioned this last time and it's worth saying again, is even in the Godhead, there's an other's focus. Which I find to be fascinating. Right. I mean, you know, I mentioned last time my, my atheist friend who, who said, well, why is, what's God all hung up on himself or why does he need us to come and you know glorify him? And, uh, you know, it has nothing to do with that. That's first of all, he is worthy of the glory. And if you don't see that, that's not his fault. That's yours. You've got the problem. Secondly, what is interesting is that that, there, that, that none of the individual members of the Trinity are like, yeah, look at me. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're 
bringing glory, the Father is bringing glory to the Son, the Son's bringing glory to the Father, the Spirit's bringing glory to the Son and the Father, and, the, and vice versa. There's this whole, almost as if they're modeling how this love is supposed to work in a group context, right? Hmm. Well, that's kind of important because the next verse is, he's going to give us a quote-unquote, well, I shouldn't say that, a new commandment, right? We're going to wrestle with this here in a second. You know, what's new about it? Because it's actually been around for a while, okay? But he's going to say, love one another, right? Love one another. And so the model for that love is in those in those verses. Easy to kind of miss that, but it's definitely there where the Father and the Son are looking to bring the proper credit, the proper glory the proper recognition to each other that should be there right if you're uh if you have a child that that's we've done this here in this church we're small enough we can we can do this you know pretty well we all know each other families and kids growing up together you know uh, both kids and adults and parents growing up together uh and, and so we've, we've had kids that have an accomplishment at school, right? And we'll bring them up here and we'll, we'll bring some attention to them. There's nothing wrong with that, right? That they've earned that, you know, graduation or whatever, you know, maybe um, they were part of a sports team that, that had when Sabrina and, and her team won state uh, championship, you know, that was a big deal. Uh, first time in the history of the school that, you know, men or women's soccer that they had Want to stay championship and and so big deal, right? Come up and show your ring. Okay, there's nothing wrong with you know you when you love someone, you want to see them get the credit that they deserve, right? That's what's going on here. Same thing. Um, so God is glorified. Well, remember also, and and this is really the title of our topic here, or our, our section. Jesus summarizes the time ahead. So remember, not only is he talking about you know, this glory and inter-Trinitarian love modeling that, but he's spelling out the timeline. He's giving us a condensed view of the time ahead. He's going to unpack that in these following chapters. So this is on our outline. That's I've, I've outlined it that way too. So the first thing we look at is the cross. Now these verses don't say that, but that's what he's doing here. Uh, and the key word is that word now, right? In time, the time has come. The previous chapter, he said the hour has come, right? And you see that throughout all the Gospels. Uh, they, you know, people try to kill him, push him off a cliff or something, right? And they were unsuccessful. Why? Because his hour had not yet come, right? So that that is a, a not-too-veiled reference to his cross, all right? That, that indication of time right there, okay? Now, well... Well, what is so special about now? Aren't they always glorifying each other? Yes, but there's a special event happening imminently in which they will especially be glorified, Father and the Son. Okay? And that's the cross. So that's what's coming ahead. The next um, point or outline is what's going to happen on the other side of that cross. Okay? And that's where we are today uh, here in verse 33. That's the second point. Hope I'm not moving too fast. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I call this verse the gut punch. Because this is the verse... Remember, they entered into the room on an emotional high. They're leaving the room on an emotional low. How do we know that? Well, twice in the next chapter, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Right? Their emotions have gone on this roller coaster, right? Because what they thought was about to happen and what is actually going to happen are two very different things. They thought they were up here. It's actually down here. Jesus is on his way down there. I really appreciated what, what Bruce said last Sunday, not just because it was directed primarily to me or whatever, but 
Did you pick up on, on what he said about that? That the cross of Christ is not just for Christ, but it's for us as well. I love that. I said, man, here's here's the notes. That's where we've been. Way of the cross. Way up is down. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's walking the way of the cross that Paul talks about in Philippians 2, that humbling. Okay, And the disciples thought it couldn't get any lower than the washing the feet. But it's about to get lower. It's about to get more more low, more humble, you might say. And so when he when he says when he when he washes their feet, he's rebuked them for their pride, he's dismissed Judas. For them as well, their emotions are going down the steps too. Okay. When he says this, this is an important point. When he says this to them, I think it's at that point that their emotions hit rock bottom. Okay. Um, at least in the room. Okay. It's probably it's going to get worse later. For Peter, it's really going to get bad when he when he denies the Lord, right? Uh, and then when but when the Lord is crucified and, and John is there to see it, uh, I don't know about the other other disciples who may watch from a distance, but they see him go into the tomb, they know that. And then you wake up the next morning, maybe you don't sleep at all that night. And he's still in the tomb, right? And he's got three days of this. You make a mistake, you know, like John the Baptist. Is he the one or should we have looked for someone else? You know. Um, but here it's kind of like they they level. Why why is this verse so significant? Well, let's take a look. Jesus gives us a clue in it right there. As I said to the Jews, well, what did he say to the Jews? Okay, well, if you look on your notes, I'll give you the references. So let's go back and, and flip back. In fact, I've been doing a lot of talking here. So let's have someone um, uh, volunteer to read uh, chapter 7, verses 33 and 34, and then someone else can read 821. Who wants to read 7? 33, 34. Yeah. You want to do that? John 7. Yep. Are you ready now? Go ahead. You will seek me. You will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews then said to one another, Where does this man intend to go? And what go that we will not find him? He is not intending to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greek Greeks, is he? Just 33 and 34. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and then 821. Anybody? Once more, Jesus said to them, I am going away. You will look for me. You will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Wow. Thank you. So let's take a look at these two sections here. Look at the, at the one, the first one in chapter seven. Jesus is arguing, maybe not arguing, but he's wrestling with the Pharisees in the in in the crowd, the Pharisees hear the crowd, right? And it's an office to arrest him. And and Jesus said, I will be a little longer, and where I and then I am going to him who sent me. So he's telling them where he's going. Right? He's already told them, I come from heaven. That was in chapter six. You will seek me, and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. Well, where is he going back? That just said, right to the Father. In heaven, right? They thought they're on their way to heaven. What he's telling them is, both here and in, in uh, uh, chapter 8, you guys aren't going to heaven. <laughs> so, how do you think the disciples felt when they heard Jesus say the same thing? And he even references what he had told the, the Jews. That's about six months earlier, okay, when he says that to them in these chapters. Remember, that's the Feast of Tabernacles. So we're in the spring here where the Passover is. The prior fall, they remembered Jesus had said that, and not just once, but twice to these enemies of his. How do you think they felt? 
pretty devastating. Yeah, it's very devastating. It's very devastating. <clears throat> Good thing he doesn't leave it there. Okay, he does clarify. He does make this more clear. In fact, what I want you to see is how he starts verse thirty-three. Uh, how does he how does he address them in verse thirty-three? Is that NIV? Yeah. My children. Okay. Dear children. Dear children. Little children. The actual Greek word is a diminutive of the word child. So it does literally mean little children. But in this case, you know, uh, that's what the actual word means. But especially as it's applied here, and I think what he's meaning here is it's a term of endearment. It's a term of, of tenderness, okay? But there is attached, I mean, you can have a term of endearment for your wife that doesn't have the same kind of vulnerability uh, for her that you might for a small child, right? Um, as an adult, you're allowed to do, well, Going to say some sometimes uh, uh, age and maturity are not synonymous. But if you if you if you, once you reach the age of adult and you act like an adult, you should have the freedom and privileges to go with it. For example, to go out here on your own and cross the street on your own, right? Okay, that you don't accord to a little child. Why? Because the little child doesn't understand all the dangers and everything. And or, you know, earlier Debbie asked, "Well, able not to go out? We were before Sunday school. He's back there. You want to go outside?" No, you're not allowed to go out on your own. Why? <laughs> yeah, he's not really interested in a long diatribe of why, you know, well, let me explain all the dangers to you. Know, all you need to know at that stage is an adult in authority told you not to do it. So that's what I said to him. She said that. That's all you need to know, buddy. There's, so what I'm trying to say here is when Jesus uses this term, uh, for them and addresses them with it. What he's telling them is, what I'm about to tell you is very hard to hear. And you're not in a proper place to fully understand But it's not intended to hurt you. It's intended for your good. You hear that? I love how he starts this. And by the way, this is the only place in the gospel where that term is used. The term child and children is used elsewhere. It's the only place that it's used, and it's used in addressing them. And it's the first of two places in which he addresses them as children. In chapter 21, uh, let's see, that's chapter 21, verse, um, I have it written down here, but it's lost a moment. There it is. Verse 5, he just simply says children to them. You know? My children, hey, do you have any? You, you haven't caught any fish, have you? No. Okay. But here is the diminutive form. And, and so it's it's a very tender way of dressing. It's not an insult at all. I mean, we read that and we're like, little children, what do you mean? You're, we're grown men. Actually, these guys, uh, 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 Michael Card says something in, in a John intensive. Well, that was interesting. Some scholars think John himself could have been maybe about 15 at this point. I don't know, it seems pretty young to me. Maybe I don't we don't know, but they were young men for sure, right? They were pretty young, and not only young physically, but very, very young and unschooled spiritually, right? Uh, they did not know yet all they needed to know. And and so it doesn't make sense to them, but and this is devastating news, but he's going to tell it to them anyway. And it just and, and right on the heels of that, then comes this new commandment. That you love each other as I have loved you. Well, how is it loving to tell them something that's a gut punch to them? Right? Paul reconciles that in 1 Corinthians 13. Love rejoices in the truth, right? It's not unloving to tell someone the truth, even when it's hard for them to hear or hard for you to say. Okay. And I tell you, I struggle with this. There's it is. Hard to look somebody in the eye and tell them the truth that they need to hear, even if you do it in, in, in as tender and as as 
humble and as loving a way as you can. It's still hard to do it, isn't it? But Jesus models that here. He's telling them something very hard for them to hear. You say, you know, we're not ready to say my children. That, that makes it personal. You know, little children, that's okay. But I'm saying when, when the word my there, that's, that's his wife of ownership. They're his, his children. So, and that personal relationship is key. And and I think the reason, again, like you said, that the reason why he used children, not friends or whatever, um, he used that because they weren't there yet. They couldn't grasp all this. We have seen it through the whole book of John, how he's told them and showed them and showed them and showed them. But you still haven't done it. Yeah. And right here, he puts another nail in the, in the board that, yeah. hey, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Listen to me. But I like I like the idea when you put they put my because that that is a that's a personal that's a personal opinion, you know that's not necessarily ownership. You know what I'm saying? It's, maybe it isn't. It is ownership. That's right. It, it's the my isn't actually there in the Greek, but that's a good translation because it it's very it's really when we take a look a look at this, what we're seeing here is another expression of the kind of care that we saw in chapter 10 right where in chapter 10 he does say my sheep right many times in fact my sheep i own them you know and 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 so there is ownership there this is a little different slant on it because even even sheep you know are valuable to the owner but he doesn't love them like he does his own children right so so there's a there's always you know, he could have he could have said my flock, right? He could have he could have done that. He, you're right, right? He could have addressed them as my friends or my disciples or whatever. But he chose this term to show how dear they are to his heart, right? Listen, I think everybody, just about everybody in this room has has children of your own. Nobody can pull on your heartstrings like your children. Nobody can hurt you or excite you like your kids. <clears throat> this is a very, very close and intimate term. And he knows what he's going to tell them is a very hard thing to hear. Okay. Yet a little while I am with you. Okay. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. So we, we already saw what he said to the Jews earlier, chapter seven and eight. Where is it that he's going? Specifically to the Father, but yes, generally to have to have right. He's he's going back to the Father. This is very devastating to them. You know, I don't think that what's devastating to them here is not that they aren't going to heaven, or presumably are thinking, well, maybe we aren't going to heaven. I think the thing that's really devastating to them here. Is that they can't be with him anymore. Because they've been with him the whole time, right? And, and they're walking with him and, and they're they know he's the Messiah. And wherever he's going, that's where we're going. We've we we're all in, man. We've we've we're like that guy that sold everything he had and bought the, the field to, to get that treasure, right? Uh, we've we've we're all in on Jesus, so to speak. We bet the farm on him, right? And, uh, uh, and and now you're leaving and we can't go with you. And worse, you put us in the same category as your enemies when you say it. Well, the Lord doesn't leave it there, but leave it to Peter to uh, bring the attention back. We'll, we'll cover that next time. Um. Because he can't get past that, right? He just he doesn't even hear verses 34 and 35. All right, the next verse 36, uh, Peter answers, uh, Lord, where are you going? Right? And then verse 37, why can't we go with you now? We'll deal with that in the next set of notes. Jesus will qualify this so we don't leave on a negative note. He will qualify to say, you can't come with me now. But you will later. Then 
he expands on this. It's very important that we understand this because when you get to chapter 14, is let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you and all that. Oh, that's wonderful. We just soak that in. But it that, that all that salve and ointment in chapter 14 feels even better when you understand the wounds in 13, right? When you feel that pain, you understand his comfort in verse in, in chapter 14. I'm not leaving you as orphans, he's going to tell them, right? So Yes, you're little children. I'm not I'm not just like, well, that's it. I'm done with you guys. You know, you're on your own. Too bad. Rough world. They'll chew you up and spit you out. No. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And I said, I've got a plan. It's okay, guys. And eventually, you'll get there. In fact, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I want to send the Holy Spirit, right, to help you in this life to make it there fully and completely. All right. Um, so let's move on. That's point number two on our outline, okay? Uh, Jesus will be departing this world after the cross. Um, so the first part is we're looking to the glory of the cross, right? Then there's an ascension to heaven. Jesus is leaving. He's That's the ascension, right? Okay, the timeline. We've got the timeline. What's after the timeline? Well, Notice the next, um, what, two verses, right? 34 and 35. Back to chapter 13, if you're not there already. A new commandment I give to you that you, what? What? Not just love, but what? Love one another. Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Okay, class, as I promised, we're going to wrestle with this. Is that a new commandment? No. So Jesus is not, he's either ignorant or lying here. What, what, or maybe we're, ignorant. maybe there's another, what do you think? What's going on here? Is this the first time that, that he's that they've ever heard this commandment to love one another? Well, look at the top of your notes there, because I put those verses up there on purpose, right? Do you remember the first and second great commandments? Jesus was asked that at one point. It's not the Gospels. And he refers to these two commandments. So let's read them right at the top of your notes there. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. That's Deuteronomy 6, 5 through 4. And then look at the next one. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Leviticus 19, 18b. So that's been around for a while. Okay. Well, Who's my neighbor? Remember that? Remember the lawyer? And then we got the whole story about the, the Samaritan, the person least likely to want to help that injured Jew, uh, tra Jewish traveler on the road, was the one who helped him, right? And it, the point of that story is the one who has a need who is next to you, right? The person, not some, you know, theory, well, pray for, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about missions and, and these are majority of people will never meet in this life. Right, it's easy to sort of pray broadly for mission missions and missionaries and people in other places that I'll never meet. But what about your neighbor? Right? What about the people next to you? Well, certainly this could, you know, it's not hard to argue that this is a commandment that God has given from at least certainly from Leviticus, maybe even before that, probably, right? All right. I mean, is 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 are we to infer that God has didn't really care how people treated each other up to this point. Uh, yeah. No. no. Isn't this referring to isn't this referring to right? Isn't this referring to love like through the Holy Spirit after through like salvation, which wasn't the same before? So it's a new, it's new. Um, I'm not really saying it right. It's new because it's love through. 
through the Holy Spirit, like like sanctification and salvation. So those things are basically new once Jesus is crucified and and returns, right? Yeah, I, know, I didn't say it quite right, but I think you're on the yeah, you're on I, the trip. I That's good. That's what I'm trying to get us to do is exactly think it through. It was right. as love as I have loved you. And what did he do to show his love to us? He died. He was like, yeah. and, and that goes, that's what you were saying. Um, and it's, that's the sense and it's new because it's not always been sacrificial. And he right. sacrificed everything mm -hmm. for us. That's correct. He put boundaries on love. Good. We put boundaries on love. Yes, we do. Yeah, we're prejudiced. What can you do for me? Yeah. No, you're 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 absolutely right. Yeah. And Pete, because he, because he continues to talk about the Holy Spirit, like you said, that gives us the empowerment to actually do that. Because even though that was the law earlier, to love the Lord, your God with all your heart, so strength. I mean, yes, that's the right thing to do, but of ourselves. We do not have the power to actually do that unless the Holy Spirit totally uh, comes in and dwells us and gives us what we need to do that. Like the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. I mean, those things right there uh, that we said yesterday, that the Holy Spirit literally just pours those things onto us and allows us to do that. So, like what Vicki was saying, uh, we are then empowered to actually do the, the obedient command that he tells us to. He can be saying, and he can be Until then, we're not in the Wow. <clears throat> Very good. <laughs> There's a new enabling here. Right? So there's actually three things that are the first is the example. This is what Miriam said. He goes on to say, a new command I give you, love one another. How? Just as I have loved you. How did the leaders, the Jewish uh, uh, um, rabbis and, and lawyers, experts in the law, the scribes, the scholars of that time, how did they take that command to love your neighbor as yourself and apply it. Okay, how did they work that out? Well, we don't have to guess because Jesus tells us in the Synoptic Gospels, he went to a feast, remember? To And, and, and all of these, these uh, uh, people are coming in, clamoring for the best seat. And he's observing this whole thing. And he says... When somebody invites you to a feast like that, don't sit at the best seat, lest the host come to you and say, give way to this other person who is more important than you are, and you're embarrassed, right? Instead, sit at the lowest point, and then you'll be called up. And then he says, if you um, don't just invite your friends to your feast, who then are obligated to do the same for you, to their feast, but invite people who can't repay you, right? This is the kind of love that God has behind that command to love your neighbor as yourself. You said it's sacrificial love. A love because their kind of their interpretation of this was a, a points system, a buddy system, right? Where I invite, I have a nice house and I invite you over. And you, you know, you get the place of honor at my table and you get fed and everything. And then there's sort of this points now on the board, you know, that at some point down the line, you've got to do the same for me, right? So that we're even. Okay. That's how it worked out. And Jesus is saying, the kind of love I'm talking about has nothing to do with the scoreboard. We throw that away. It has everything to do with self-sacrificing love without expecting anything in return necessarily okay except for the fact that god is watching and he will reward you right? god will honor you when the time is right this is a humble 
love. This is not a proud kind of love. And it's the thing that's new. First is the example. The second is the context. Okay. Look at how it's applied here. Verse 35, by all this, by this, all people will know you are my disciples. That's the church, folks. Right? We're in the process of, as I mentioned to you before, it wasn't just our sin judged on Christ, uh, uh, um, Christ on the cross. God also judged that system. He judged us. In fact, we're going to read that here in a few chapters when when he's talking about, about the, the God of this world is, is, is being judged. We've already seen that. We're going to see it again. All right. So that system is going to be judged. And it's going to be torn down, and it's going to be replaced with his church. Paul helps us understand this better in, in Romans 9, 10, and 11, okay, where he talks about what is God's past, present, and future plans for the nation Israel and how that fits in with the church. But that, but that verse right there, verse 35, is all about church building, okay? And notice the word all people, not just Jews, right, but all people, the same People, uh, uh, the flock of Israel and the flock of the Gentiles, right? That, that he will call people out of into his his own kingdom, his flock. And they will all know you're my disciples who have love for one another. So the example is new. The context is new, right? That command to love your neighbors yourself was for the nation, okay? Here it's for the church. Here it's for the whole uh for, the, for, for his disciples to display before the world. I said before, and, and I was going back and rereading some notes in Romans. Uh, Romans uh, chapter 14, Paul takes a chapter and a half, uh, 14 through about half of 15, to talk about this one topic of how you maintain unity in the church when there's disagreements about personal preferences, right? And and I, I love that. I love how he puts so much emphasis on that because we are to love each other and be careful about, well, you know, maybe I would wear that to church, but I don't know where her heart is or his heart is with the Lord, right? I wouldn't listen to that kind of music. Okay, well, who are you to judge another man's servant? Now, now if there's sin there, and you can take them to a, a verse and say the Lord, you know, you do that in humility, right? That's not your judgment, that's the Lord's, right? But Paul takes that whole principle and works it out for a chapter and a half of Romans. Why? Listen, because there's nothing that glorifies God more in the eyes of the watching world than when his people who otherwise wouldn't get along, get along. That brings glory to God. Look at our culture today. Are people trying to get along? They say they are. So we have we even have flags that people fly that talk about unity and trying to you know accept people as they are. Right? What's that actually doing? It's, it's doing the opposite, isn't it? It's doing the opposite. Um, that that really came home to me on time at work where it I I watched. Um, two transgender people that I worked with independently of each other at different times, the Lord just sort of opened my eyes in, in that moment to see how lonely they are. Those two people never went out with, they were on teams, but they never went out for team lunches. You see people going out to lunch, eat all the time together, just hanging out. They, they always ate lunch. It's very interesting. Um, the world is trying really hard to bring people, racial reconciliation, right? Reconciliate women's equality. Let's, you know, let's get along because of gender or or economic equality, right? Or age. Now that's ageism. No. All this stuff, all these things are trying to do and not succeeding at, God accomplishes in his church through his word and Holy Spirit. That's pretty cool. One of the things that we probably should emphasize when we talk about loving each other is right from us. Is his motive? If it's really there, it's not just demonstrating good things, but as a real concern for the people that you that you give yourself for. Yes. You really care for people itself. That's right. It makes it easy to do. Well, isn't that how John started this chapter? Yeah, it is right. Let's go to 
Let's go back and look at chapter one. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them how? To the max. In English translation, this one is uh, ESV. It says to the end. It makes it sound like it was an end, but that's really not a good translation. It's really he loved them with that unmixed, unmitigated love, right? And somebody said earlier, it's not like our love, which is kind of like the, the scoreboard again, right? You know, you did this for me, I'll do this for you. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. I love you as long as you're doing something. Or I love you because you did this. Or I love you if you continue to agree with me. You know, that that's the way our, our love works, okay? But that's not this kind of love. And, and that, that started, he started the chapter with it and continues this thought. He's going to continue it through the whole thing. He's got to drive this point home that this kind of love is not natural. No. It is supernatural. You have to love him for it. So if you look there on your notes, um, we continue. Uh, we've already looked at Leviticus 19.18. Um, let's turn to Romans 5. Okay, I think this is probably uh, as good as a, a section of scripture for us to take a, a little closer look at this love and then specifically how it applies to us. Romans the third Oh, I'm sorry. You're right. Uh, so, so this, the command is um, the last one is enabling. Enabling, yes. So it's it's a new example. It's a new context, and there's a new enabling, right? And then we're gonna. And that's what you said, Eric. And I appreciate that. Um, you're exactly right. Well, where does it say that? Well, here we are. Okay, Romans five five. Look at this. And hope does not put us to shame because. Whose love is this now? God's love. Okay, that's the kind of love we're talking about. This divine love, this high standard, has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit. Who has been given to us. There's a lot of verses in Romans that are well known. That one is not so well known. I wish it were better known. One of my favorite verses in Romans. Because it tells me as Erica says, right, we don't have this kind of love naturally. But God has given us the Holy Spirit who brings that kind of love to your heart. Here's a good question. Did you, when, when you became really genuinely converted, assuming you have, did you have a new love that wasn't there before? Did you love Jesus where before he was repulsive to us? Did you love his word? Now, man, you can't get enough with this book. Do you love his people? Do you love other people? Man, I want people. This is awesome. Let me show you what God is doing in my life. Let me show you what. And you get strange looks. I've mentioned to you before, that was my experience. You know, I grew up in church. I said, I said the little magic prayer at four. Thought I was saved for many, many years. Sat in a really good sound teaching for a long time. Until the Lord, through a series of things, brought me to a point where I, I really had to face my own sin and shortcomings. And I'm like, I just want to be right. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. And 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 when I really got regenerated. One of the first things that, in fact, the first thing that really surprised me was exactly that. Suddenly the word was like alive. It was just made sense. And I started wanting everybody to know. And I didn't realize before that point how much I didn't really love other people at that level until it happened. And then you can look back on the way it was and say, wow, <laughs> how could I? Well, you just don't know what you don't know. And that's, that's why I think I really like this. One of my favorite verses in Romans is Romans 5, 5. That's the Holy Spirit brings this kind of love to us. Uh, notice the self-sacrificial love, right? In verse 8, we all, that's one of the famous verses, Romans 5, 8, right? You know, but God demonstrates his love for us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, right? The love of God is demonstrated on the cross that he would go there for enemies. Would go there for sinners. Would go there for the ungodly. He uses four terms there to describe us. 
in that in this whole context. Okay, so <clears throat> what we're saying, and, and there's other verses here in your notes that you can look up that basically have to do with uh, the royal law, right? Uh, James talks about that. Love your neighbor as yourself. What we're saying is what Jesus is saying. Back to our text, then. Okay, and we'll we'll wrap up with this. What he's saying is this standard of love that I have modeled for you is at a different level than what's ever been asked or expected before. Now, they don't know it yet. Okay, They hear this, but it kind of goes in, like I said, earlier, in one ear and out the other because they're still honing in on 33, right? They're still like, where is he going that we can't come? Why do you mean? Right, they kind of this goes in one year, not the other. But as we unpack this in the or as the Lord unpacks this in the chapters to come, what we're going to find out is He's going to tell them at one point, "Look, it's actually to your advantage that I go away." Why? Because if I don't go away, I won't send the Holy Spirit won't come. But I'll go away and I send the Holy Spirit. And among the things that the Holy Spirit will do is bring this kind of love that you don't have otherwise. That's good. That's why I wasn't told the whole thing. Yeah, 14. <laughs> Just can't wait to get there. <laughs> but but I'm, I'm trying to help you feel the pain that they're feeling now, right? So we can enjoy the sad of chapter 14. By the way, there's a lot more pain to come about halfway through 15. It takes a very dark turn. He talks about that. The persecution that's coming for them. But here's the timeline. It's a condensed form. The church is coming, right? They're going to love each other. They're going to need to lean on each other. And they're going to need to show each other the love of Jesus. Because he's not going to be here to do that for them, right? They've been leaning on him. Now they're going to lean on each other. And the same is true for us. Right? Same is true for us. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't love like this. Period. You just can't. So don't try. Surrender. Let him put the Holy Spirit there. Transform your heart, and he'll bring the love and the obedience. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for your, for your enabling, for this new context, for this new example. You didn't just bark these orders from heaven and say, good luck, and nobody measure up. Too bad for you. But you came, you became one of us, you got dirty with us, you got sweaty, you cried with us, you went to the cross, humbled and rejected by the nation and exalted by, by the Father. But you still, Lord Jesus, you still walk every inch of the dark valleys with us. You taste the salt in our tears. You're here for every bit of pain. I thank you that you didn't run up to heaven and get away from it, but you're here with us. And you sent your Holy Spirit to enable us to obey these commands. We can't do it on our own. We know that and acknowledge that. So we pray, I pray, that you would continue to work in our hearts even today through your word and the Holy Spirit. Do your work that we might be less like the flesh and a normal cells before Christ and more like him as we walk this path to greater glory. We pray this in his name. Amen.